a great job? That was fun, wasn't it? Good job. All right, welcome to Ordinary Faith. If this is your first Sunday, I'm Michael. There's another one around here. I like to be introduced in this way. This is my Pastor Michael and my other Pastor Michael. You would have to know Newhart to know what that even means, but still, and that's a long, long time ago, but nonetheless. So today we're starting this pretty exciting series called Getting Past Your Past. And uh, it's one we've been working on for a while. And what we're going to do in this series, uh, earlier this year we did an eight-week series on boundaries. And there's a couple concepts out of that that are so important we're going to come back at them in this series and look at them a little bit differently. And uh, how that they can set us free and set us up for the future. That's one angle you need to consider. The other thing is this. We have an enemy in this town the Bible calls the accuser, the devil. And I'd really like to make that sucker pay. So, I feel like God is going to raise up some things and uh, fire up some folks. And uh, we're going to take back some stuff that he stole. So, I'm pretty excited about that. So, that's kind of what the series is about, okay? Now, I need to, who's, who's already wound up this morning? I don't even have to get you fired up. So, good deal. Uh, for those of you guys who are like, well, I really like my church calm. That's okay. Be calm. The person next to you, however, may not. And so... It's okay. Just just try and relax. So today, our the first thing we're gonna in our series is called "Mistakes Were Made," and uh, this idea came out actually uh, was uh, really made well, famous, I guess, during the last Bush administration, not the first Bush administration, but W. And there was some times there that he got into trouble because he's from Texas, and that's what Texans do. It's a joke. It's just a joke. It's a joke, man. You can't make any, if it's a political joke, you can't touch it at all. But I do anyway, because I like watching people get nervous. But anyway, but here, here's the line. He said, where mistakes have, I wish I could do a good Texas accent, but I can only do Tennessee, which is a far richer, deep, never mind, I'm just kidding. But um, he said, where mistakes were made, the responsibility rests with me. It sounds good, doesn't it? Oh, man, just rolls across the tongue and sounds good on paper but what he's really saying is he didn't actually say he made mistakes he just said if he said that there were mistakes made and that if they happened then the buck stops or the blame stops at his the buck not the blame stops at his desk now you can maybe you don't like w but bill clinton used the same one uh, he used it in regard to when we bombed China's embassy in 1999 by mistake <laughs> his mistakes were made not not me but you know um, George Bush Sr., and, and went regarding early support of Saddam Hussein because we actually put him in power, and uh, so mistakes were made. And then Ronald Reagan even did it during the Iran-Contra uh, ordeal. So it's just kind of a political, linguistic gymnastic to say there's a problem, but it's not really my fault, okay? And that's kind of how we like to approach life sometimes. Like, yeah, mistakes were made, but... I know I have to fix them, but I'm not sure I did anything wrong. So, this happened in the Bible, too. There's a whole lot of great stories about it. So today, we're going to use an instant in a high priest named Aaron to show us how this, the trouble that we get into in our life and kind of learn from what Aaron did. So, in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 20, just to give you a little background, relationship with God and man changed. Before that, God related to man in a, in a way that was a little different, and he had one-on-one -on -one encounters with limited people. He went and he found Abram, and he found Jacob, and those kind of things. But in, Genesis, I mean, in Exodus chapter 20, what happens is God establishes what the New Testament calls the Old Covenant, but then it wasn't old, it was new. Okay, So in Exodus 20, 
I mean, it, it's really cool how God made this happen. So the nation of Israel had just escaped Egypt, which is a really cool story that I won't retell at the moment. And they travel to this mountain, and they're, they're at the foot of this mountain, and God shows up visibly. The Shekinah glory of God settles on this mountain. It's really, really cool. But it was also really, really scary. So I wanted to give you a couple of scriptures to show you what it was like when God started laying down the Old Covenant, which was the Ten Commandments and the laws that you would read about in Leviticus and Numbers, okay? So in Hebrews 12, 19, the writer of Hebrews says about this moment in history. And when I say history, I'm talking about God's story regarding his relationship with mankind, all right? God never changes, but how God relates to mankind and how man relates to God has changed a few times. People don't change, relationships change. And so, or maybe people don't change much, how's that? But Hebrews 12, 19. The people of Israel heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. Now, Hebrews 12 is an amazing chapter. You should read if you want to deeper comprehend what, how God would like to relate to you. But in this case, I just want you to see that what happens was when God established the Old Covenant, it was awesome. And when I say awesome, I mean terrifying. Because there is an, an element of terror to something being awesome. I know the word has been so used that we just think awesome means cool, but that's not what awesome means, all right? And so there's some awesomeness to us. Now, Deuteronomy, Moses tells us, he records the event, uh, the people saying this, don't let us hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore or see this bl blazing fire for we will die. So I just want you to kind of climb into the moment that the Old Covenant, the Ten Commandments, are being established. Now, if you're sitting there going, what is this? We're under grace. Hang on, dude. I'll get you there. Chill. Okay? We'll be fine. So this moment, it's awesome. It's terrifying. Paul has some more commentary on it. Actually, I've got to tell you one more thing. There was this party that happened in Exodus 24, a soiree between Moses, Aaron, Aaron's four sons, two of which would soon die, and the 70 elders that led the nation of Israel. And most people don't think about this, but it happened in Exodus 24, under the Old Covenant, verse 10. It says this, There they, all the people I just mentioned, saw the God of Israel. Under his feet there seemed to be a surface of brilliant blue lapis lazulu, as clear as the sky itself. And though these nobles of Israel gazed upon God, he did not destroy them. In fact, they ate a covenant meal, eating and drinking in his presence. Now, I want you to see how cool the old covenant was. You need to see how powerful it was. How, how, how awesome it was that God wanted to be with people. And you can see in this little dinner party that God loves hanging out with people. If you didn't catch that from the life of Jesus, you can see it here. God loves being with his people, people, his creation. Now here is one more tag, and I'll get into the actual part of the sermon. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 3.9. If the old way, now I just laid out for you the old way, the cloud, the voice, terror, awesomeness, dinner party, all this. If the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? And what I want you to see in that is this. If the old way was awesome, 
the new way totally rocks, okay? And if your faith doesn't totally rock, no offense, but you're doing it wrong, okay? All right? The new covenant is better. Now, all that, all that, I really just wanted to preach an individual sermon that would speak on itself, and that's all. Now, back into the rest of the one we started with, where it says, mistakes were made. So there's this guy, so you got Moses, he's like Batman of Israel, you know, they shine the bat light, he comes, solves the problem, okay? He had a Robin, all right? Everybody knows who Batman and Robin are, right? I know, because I grew up in the 70s as a kid, and there were actual words that said bam when Batman punched people. <laughs> Yeah, because that's when it was real. Anyway. So, all that stuff I told you about in Exodus, Moses goes into the cloud. He's the only one. The relationship with God was going to be changed because of this covenant. So Moses goes up into the cloud. He's gone for 40 days. And you, if you read the text in Exodus 30, 32, you'll find out that it took seven days. He, he spends seven days in the cloud with God before God actually speaks to him. So I just wanted to throw out there, just as a simple note, uh, it's, it's important to wait on God. If God is already in the house, His Shekinah glory is already shining, and He still takes seven days to talk to Moses, your seven-minute prayer probably isn't long enough to encounter God, okay? So just remember, waiting on God is an important thing, but that's just a s little sermon's thought there, okay? Back to Aaron. So Moses is gone 40 days, over a month. The people get impatient. And so Aaron's, he's second in charge. He's, he's the robin, okay? Usually Moses is the, the focal point. He gets the light. But now this time they come to Aaron. Moses is gone. They're out of slavery. They want to cut loose, you know? They want to have like a party. Any of you guys that don't, I don't want you to like incriminate yourself right now, but you know, like when you were a teenager, your parents left town. You ever have friends that's like, hey, parties at your house Friday night, man. That's how my friends still sound in my head. And uh, that always went well, right? Nothing ever got broken. The cops never showed up. So Aaron's the one on the, on the hot seat. Hey, we want to we wanna party. It didn't turn out well. By the time the party's over, several thousand people are dead, okay? Not a good party. Not, I mean, and, and Aaron, you know, mo when Moses comes back, by the way, the nation of Israel broke the Old Covenant before the quote-unquote ink was dry. I mean, before Moses even comes down the mountain with the covenant, it's already broken. Which is why Moses threw it on the ground to symbolize that it had already been broken. Also, also, he was somewhat angry. Then he calls on Aaron. He's come down, he's broke it, it's, it's just a mess. And, and Moses calls Aaron up to the discussion, and this is Aaron's answer. Don't get so upset, Batman. I mean, my Lord, Aaron replied, you yourself know how evil these people are. They said to me, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. And when they brought it to me, I simply threw it into the fire. And, and out came this calf. Did you know the Bible was that funny? I'm telling you, just happened. Mistakes were made. If there's anyone to blame, it's not me. Just, this is, this is that moment where Aaron steps into it. We've all made mistakes, right? 
We've all done some things we wish we hadn't done, and they've led to limiting our choices, limiting our options. They all have every decision, good or bad, has a consequence to it. We've all made those choices. I want to show you real quick the kind of the moments that we see from Aaron. If we translate or transpose Aaron onto us, the moments when we are most likely to make some bad choices. Okay, I just want to look at three things. We could probably look at 20. But just three things I want you to see about when we're probably going to make a bad choice. Back to Exodus 32. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. The first, time, the first thing that sets us up for a bad decision is impatience. Is when we get impatient. Waiting on God is tough. Amen? It's hard to wait on God. And God's timing is always right. But God's timing never feels right. Right? You, think, you, can, you can disagree if you want, but you're wrong. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It just never feels right. And here's why. Because we wait the wrong way. For years, I realized that my problem with waiting was I thought waiting was doing nothing. Okay? Waiting is not doing nothing. I think waiting is some of the most important work you are ever going to do in the kingdom. In fact, if we could learn to wait on God in a sense of worship, in a sense of waiting for Him to show up, waiting for Him to speak, if we could simply learn to wait on God, we would find strength that we did not know was possible, and that's a promise straight out of Isaiah. And so we learn to wait. Now, our problem is we don't wait actively. We don't wait expectantly. We tend to wait passively. And when we wait passively, we're kind of putting a pass-fail before God. We're like, God, um, you know, you need to do this. You need to do it the way I want it done. And when we're waiting passively, we're just like, God, it's all on you. I'm just, I'm just sitting here waiting. We kind of get in a place where if God doesn't come through when we want and the way we want, then God fails our test. Who are you to, first of all, who are you to test God? It's not a good idea. There's a better way to wait, though. What's that? To wait expectantly. Some, many of you in this room have had children. Many of you women have, have been pregnant. How do you wait for a new baby? Well, that's a totally different matter. There's expectancy. You start to dream about what this child would be, and every one of them grows into exactly what you dreamed. Amen? <laughs> My child's going to clean their room every day when they're a teenager. Jesus, help us. Anyway, she, she dreams about what that child will be. She talks to anyone who will listen about If she gets a sonogram of the baby and it's just a black and white blur, smudge, looks like a thumbprint that got mudged. If she gets a sonogram, she will take it out and show it to people. This is our new baby. And, and she, she, will, she will get the nursery ready. She will get decorated, prepare for what's coming. She's, she's waiting, but she's expecting a blessing, a, a joy to come. Maybe she'll even set up a college fund or something to prepare for this child's future. I mean, that's, that's how you wait, man. That's how you wait on God. You wait on God expectantly. You dream about what God might do. You talk about how God could bless and how God could come through in this situation. You, you, you think about these kinds of things. You expect God to be God in your life. When we wait passively, we want God to prove He's God in our life. And it sets us up for discouragement and impatience. And when you get impatient, you're going to make bad choices. 
It happened to Abram. He got impatient on the plan of God, and he ended up with a thorn in his family's flesh for the rest of his life. There were some blessings in that too, but still, it's what happened. But when he had a promise of a son, Abraham learned and to, to, uh, to wait expectantly. David had a promise from God that, he, that his son would get to build the temple. And so he prepared and dreamed of what that would look like. I think waiting expectantly is real faith. And waiting passively is a pass-fail. And we'll make mistakes and bad choices. If we get impatient is what that will lead to. But also, there's another thing that happened. Sometimes we go along to get along. Any people pleasers in the house? You don't have to raise your hand. Just look guilty. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, I kind of feel sorry for Aaron. He's Moses' brother, older brother, but he's second fiddle. He's the Robin to his bad man. And all the time, Moses is in the spotlight, and now Aaron gets his chance. He's, everybody's coming to him. But when you're not used to the spotlight and you're in the spotlight, or even if you are, it's hard to let that go. And so Aaron, rather than saying, no, Moses is fine, he's hanging out with God, he bends to the will of the people. Maybe it was because he, he wanted their approval. It is a lot of pressure to stand in front of 1.5 million people and say, no, <laughs> you can't have what you want. <clears throat> we do the same thing. When we, um, when we let other people's opinions and pleasing them guide us, we also set ourselves up for a lot of mistakes. How many of us have started a bad habit or got trapped in addiction because we wanted our friends to like us? We live in a world where we want people to like us, but mainly we just don't want people to, like, attack us, you know? We don't want to be the one that's uh, on Facebook and everybody's mocking or what have you. That's kind of the world we live in today. We'd rather be the ones mocking other people because that distracts other people from our insecurities and how small we are. And so when we get under the pressure, we start people-pleasing, we're going to make some mistakes. But there's another thing that happens, too, and this is really where it always ends. The Bible says in verse 4 of Exodus 32 that Aaron took the gold. Here's God telling the truth. I love, Aaron says to Moses, yeah, we threw in that gold and it just came out of calf. I don't know what happened. It's just freaky, man. Verse 4 says, Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. That's how idols are made. Idols are molded. They're carved. They're shaped. They're formed. They're manipulated. All those carving, shaping, forming are just manipulative tools. And so if you take that idea, because most of us say, well, no, we don't make idols anymore. And I would say, oh, yeah, we manipulate idols all the time. We're always shaping, forming, carving things to serve us because that's what an idol is about. An idol is about making a God who will do what you want. That's what an idol is. Serving something for the purpose that it will give you the things that you need. And often that ends up being some kind of deity in our life. And so Aaron makes this idol, this calf for the people. They want to have fun, and, and he molds it. And when we do that, when we idolize others, we set ourselves up for a whole litany of bad choices. When we shape, we do it all the time, man. Do it to our kids. 
Sometimes we're not quite as mature as we need to be when we start our families. And we have children because we need love and we need acceptance. And somewhere in our minds, we all, I've, heard, I've heard people say this, that they expect out of their kids unconditional love. Have you met a two-year-old recently? <laughs> At any time in history... We can idolize our kids, and what we do is we try and shape and mold them and manipulate them into serving us and giving us the love and acceptance that we need. Love and acceptance that can only come from the divine, but we're trying to get it ourselves through manipulation. Sometimes we do that in our jobs with our bosses. Sometimes we idolize celebrities, pastors, friends. We, we want them to meet our needs, so we, we shape them in the way we want them to be. We try and manipulate them to get what we want. But the most horrible thing we do is when we idolize God. <laughs> and you're going, yeah, what do you mean? You can't idolize God. He is God. Yes, you can. As soon as you start imagining God to be something God is not, you have idolized God. That's what religion's all about. Usually it's finding ways to manipulate God to meet your needs. Let me just tell you something. God is the answer to your needs. He is just the way he is. He's the answer to your needs. In every way possible. When you try and manipulate him to get things that you think you need, you are making an idol out of God. And you are trying to make God do things he will not do. Then God fails your test. And then you go find another faith or non-faith or what have you. That's how it usually works in the world we live in. You do these things. Allow people... To God, what's right and wrong in your life. Feel that pressure. Go along to get along. Idolize anything. You're setting yourself up for some bad choices. And that's probably how we got to where we are today. Now, that's the bummer part of the message. There's always got to be a bad part. I mean, you can't talk about good stuff without recognizing there's bad stuff, right? So I'm in the middle of a room of people who probably made some bad choices. You can tell by my waistline. I make a few consistently. So what are you going to do about that? We live in a world that likes to take your mistakes and make them your label. And I hate that about this world. Not just make them your label, but hopefully find a group of people so you can stand together and make everyone like your label and call your label and call you by your sin. It's so stupid. And it doesn't accomplish anything that people think it does. And so I'm here to tell you, even though Ecclesiastes tells us this, it says, control your temper for anger labels you a fool. The system of labeling is a world system, not a God system. God doesn't label, God names. We'll talk about that in just a minute. He doesn't label, he names. But we live with labels in our life. I live by some that don't bother me, some I kind of like. I like being preacher, pastor, like being friend, love being husband, dad. Now I'm at grandpa stage. They call me papa, or there's some other ones that aren't, that don't make any sense, but they still call me that. <coughs> you guys know the grandparent name rule, right? The first grandchild gives you your grandparent name. That's how that works. My wife cheated the system. I don't know how she did it. But she said she wanted to be murmured. Oh, no, there's, a, there's more to the story. Anyway, she picked her own name is all I know, and it's not fair. So there's <laughs> so a lot of names I like. I've been a catalyst over the years, an influencer, a church planter, a leader, and those are nice. Although none of them capture my real name, my real label, which is son. But that's another series, okay? But then there are some labels I don't like. 
fat, obese. That's what my doctor keeps using that word, obese. Like, uh, I got some obese for you, pal. <sighs> Failure, not enough, insecure, broke, poor, stupid, lazy. These are all labels that have been stuck on me at some point in my life or another. People like to label us. Labels are efficient. We like stereotypes because in, when we stereotype people, when we put a label on someone, we don't actually have to deal with them. It's so efficient. Oh, you're this. You don't work in my life. Stereotypes keep us from even bothering getting to know someone. And so we, we like labels. We think they're efficient, but all they really do is rob us of real relationships and people that could really add to our lives. And, and so as we jump into, we kind of bridge over from the mistakes that we've made, let me ask a couple questions. Do you really want to live the rest of your life with the insecurities of your past? One of the things that drives me crazy in the church today is that people keep having to rehearse their worst choices. They keep having to go over them again and again and again. And I think part of the reason is that when it comes to the gospel in the church today, we are just stuck at the cross. And Jesus never meant for us to be stuck at the cross. He meant for us to celebrate the cross, to never forget the cross, to proclaim the cross. But there's so much more than the cross. You do realize that three days later he walked out of a tomb, right? But there's more to the story than just forgiveness of sins. And I'm so thankful God forgives my sins. Hallelujah. But I don't want to spend the rest of my life living in the past. I want to walk into God's future for me. I want to, not my future for me. Let me make that clear. By the way, one, I'll just throw this in. I'm just adding on it in the sermon. It's fine. Don't worry. We'll be out here by, don't worry, all right? <laughs> you know, salvation is surrendering to God. Do you understand that? I know we use language like you need to accept Christ, invite Christ in your heart, and, and that language is fine. But what you need to understand is this. When you step into Christ's world and you bring Christ into your life, you're putting him on the throne of your life. You are surrendering to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's really the only thought process you need to absorb. This whole Christian life is surrendering to God's plan because he knows best and he loves you. There are Be honest, there are days you don't love you. Right? God, there has never been a, a, a nanosecond that your father hasn't loved you. He knows what's best for you. Okay? Amen? Yeah. You're here, right? Okay? We're going to get rowdy in a minute, but right now we're just, just going through all this kind of stuff. All right? So you can make changes in your life. You can walk away from those insecurities. You can walk into a new future. You don't have to stay in a bad marriage. You can fix that marriage. It can be done. Now, can it be done in 30 seconds? No. But it can be fixed. A job. You're in a job you don't like? You can fix that situation. Now, I'm not saying go quit tomorrow. I'm saying, you know, make some choices. Set up a new future for yourself. You can move forward. You can do some things in your life. You can move out of the label you're under now into a new and a victorious future. Every significant character of the Bible at one time or another operated under a label that was completely inadequate for who they were. David was a shepherd boy. That was his label. Name on a shirt. Hello, my name is Shepherd Boy. What's a shepherd boy? Low end of the pool, man. Nobody listens to the shepherd boy, not even the sheep some days, you know? 
But that was David's label. But he became the greatest king in all the history of the nation of Israel. Gideon, he was just a cowardly farmer. He was hiding in a hole, literally, threshing wheat when God came and showed up to him. Zacchaeus, he was just a corrupt IRS agent. He was a cheat and a liar. Jacob was a swindler. Rahab, the woman Rahab in the Bible is mentioned eight times, six times. She's mentioned by her profession as a prostitute. And she ends up being in the family line of Christ, Jesus' great, 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 however many great grandmother. All right? God beats your label, man. <clears throat> and if I might add, many of you in this room, maybe all of you, are probably living right now somebody else's prayer request. In fact, some of you might be living your own prayer request, and now you're complaining about it. So, mistakes have been made. You're here today at this moment, at this stage in life, because of your choices. Nobody else's. Nobody made you. You made choices. Now, what are we going to do? How do we go forward? Well, the good news is your past doesn't need to matter. This is what the cross is all about, about taking the mistakes of yesterday and erasing them in the blood of Jesus Christ. So how can we move from this idea that I've made mistakes and here I am to what, that doesn't have to matter. So here we go, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If you don't know it, I'm going to read it aloud, and we're going to kind of work on this. This is our memory verse. You ready? This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Do you belong to Christ? Yeah. I'm going to try that again. I surprised you. I surprised you. <laughs> Do you belong to Christ? Yeah. All right. Listen to this. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Okay, you ready? The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Do you believe that's true? That means your label is toast, man. Anything before today, that's, that goes back in the old life. Anything ever done under the flesh, anything you'll ever do under the power and strength of the old man, that's all actually gone. We really, by the way, you know that that old sinful nature is nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6. Read it, okay? It's in there. Nailed to. Dead. Has died. But God declared it dead. Stop trying to pastor a dead man. Stop trying to reform the fool. Okay? What we need to do, instead of trying to be better people in our flesh, we need to learn to start following Jesus Christ in the spirit, we need to say yes to righteousness and no to our past. Your past does not matter. So you can now choose to grow. You don't have to be stuck in your worst moments or your worst mistakes because that life is gone. So about a month and a half ago, I got a Facebook message from an old friend. Tuck Gibson was his name. Grew up in the South. Tuck is a pretty common name, as well as Billy Bob and Sally Ray and all those kind of things. Two names. <clears throat> That's how you know you're in trouble with mom. But anyway. So I, Tuck and I went to school 35, 40 years ago together. And um, so he tagged me on Messenger and he said, Hey, is this a, do you remember me? And I said, Oh, hey, Tuck, do you still have that BB in your head? <laughs> yeah. So my friends and I, one afternoon, were playing tag with BB guns. 
We need to bring back the BB guns because boys need to learn lessons. But anyway, so he, I said, do you still have that BB in your head? This had to be 35 years ago. And he says, yes. <laughs> and I come back in my best mater. Dad, go, man. That's crazy. That's crazy. Woo. I tell you what, it just, I'm like, man, you, you're almost 50 since I'm almost 50, and you still ain't got that baby out of your head. But then I began to think, that's kind of how we do life, isn't it? We get these little wounds, these, they get infected, whatever, and the church is filled. Christianity is filled with the walking wounded. They're walking around with these places in their lives that Jesus died on the cross to heal. By his stripes, you're healed, Isaiah and he died on a cross to heal, and we're walking around wounded and, and, and infected within and having a hard time connecting or having relationships with other people. So it was good to reconnect with my friend, but what made my day was the response he gave me after that. I'm going to read it to you verbatim. We, were, we had talked a bit about our lives, and he said, he was recounting this story. He said, we were at Stephen's house, an old friend of ours, in South Fulton. We were in his room reading the Bible. I was a member of the Mormon church. And you told me that all I needed was to ask Jesus into my heart. We, we knelt by the bed, and I prayed that Jesus would enter my heart. And he saved me that day. I haven't always made the right decision, but that day I did. The best decision I ever made was to become a Christian. Amen. Made my day. I don't even remember it. I was at a stage in my life where we shared the gospel all the time, and it was just a, a real blessing to know that a child who knows very little, and that was me, 13 to 15 years of age, could help somebody find an anchor, a place in their life where Jesus Christ would always inhabit. I don't know where you're at in your faith walk. I don't know where you're at with your past right now. I want to give you this verse, though, because I think it's really powerful. God says in Isaiah 118, he says, come now, let's settle this. Wouldn't you like to settle it? Wouldn't you like your past to be settled? Let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. Don't let your mistakes be a life sentence. Jesus can restore and heal any wound. He can forgive any mistake. Just because you blew it doesn't mean you have to wear that label anymore in your life. It doesn't mean it has to be a tender place in your heart anymore. There are many of us walking around with those wounds, and every time someone bumps up against them in our lives, we react, usually badly, and create another mistake in our life. But the truth is you are free. I need you to hear that. You are free. You don't need to be free. It's not that you can be free. You are free in the blood of Christ. This is why the just shall live by faith. We have to learn to live these things. And when you start believing the things that God says about you, you're going to change the course of your life. And it's really that simple. What are some things that God says about you? What are some truths that we need to, to wrap our hearts around? Because we do need to, to move forward in our lives. And so here's some ideas, some things to think about. First, God gives, God gives you a new name. God has something else that he calls you. He doesn't call you stupid failure. He doesn't even call you sinner. 
Once you've met the Lord Jesus Christ, he calls you a saint, calls you a son, calls you a bride. The Bible says in Isaiah 62, 2, God made this promise. You'll be given a new name by the Lord's own mouth. John reiterated it in Revelation. He said to everyone who's victorious, I'll give each one a white stone, and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. You got a new name. So whatever you think you are is absorbed in what God says that you are. God says things like, you're hand-picked. He chose you. 1 Peter 2.9. He says, you are dearly loved. You're his favorite. He adores you. 1 John 4.7. You are holy. Colossians 3.12. You are a saint. 1 Corinthians 1.2. You are free from condemnation through Jesus Christ. Romans 8.1. You have. You directly now possess the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16. You can do all things through Christ. Philippians 4 13. Amen? Amen? This is what God says. We need to spend more time thinking and meditating on what God says about us than what our past says about us or the mistakes that we've made or what influential people have declared over our lives because God declares something new over you. And the cool thing about God, when he says something new about you, when he calls you a new name, he gives you a new purpose. Did you know that? Every time in the Bible that God changes a name, he gives a mission and a purpose. The Bible says in Matthew 16, 17, I've got to speed up here. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John. You probably don't know the name Simon that well. Who's this Simon guy? I'll read on. Because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter. So Simon is Peter, which means rock. Now listen to what happens. And he says, upon this Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. You see, God changes his name. Jesus gives him a new mission and a new purpose and a new plan to go with the name. It happens every time. Abram became Abraham, and he was going to be the father of many nations. Uh, Jacob, the swindler, became Israel, the nation. Peter becomes Simon, so on. Every time God changes a name, he gives a new mission and a new purpose. God given you a new name. You have a new purpose. You're not the purpose. Okay? I don't know what your purpose is. I love the fact that things are changing in the church today to the point that people realize that anything you do in life that's for God, intended toward God, and pursues God can be your purpose now. You can start a business for God's glory. It doesn't have to be preaching like I do. It could be serving. It could be reaching out to the homeless. It could be all kinds of things. And so I don't know what the plan is, but let me do say this about the church. Whatever the plan is, the church is the plan. This is really important. Because I live in a world of lone rangers in the kingdom today. We're all lone rangers because we all get hurt in church. Do you know why? The devil never misses a Sunday. Okay? The enemy wants to wreck the church. He knew he could not defeat it on the outside coming in, so he joined it. About 300 AD, somewhere in there, okay? 321. He joined it and it made it one of these things. So most of us have been heard in church, but I want you to understand that the church is important. And I want you to think about that for a second. Being a part of Christ's church. What does that look like? Does it mean coming to church every Sunday? Actually, it means being in the church every day. 
The church is a seven-day-a-week um, focus, not just a one-day-a-week attendance. Jesus didn't say, I died to give you meetings and more abundantly. Amen? He said, I, got, I died to give you life and life more abundantly in John chapter 10. So I want to read some scriptures about the church. For, in John, Romans 14, 19, Paul says, let's aim for harmony in the church and, and try to build each other up. You're going to notice a pattern here. Let me know. Like you can, you can raise your hand or nod or laugh when you hear it, okay? Romans 15, 2. We should, help do, we should help others do what's right and build them up in the Lord. Their responsibility, Ephesians 4, 12, is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, Encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Jude 1, 19 and 20, These people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's Spirit in them. But you, dear, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you find it? you see it? Build each other up. Man, that's the church. I don't know how God's going to make it all work out. I don't need to know. But I do know that I'm here to build up the church as a pastor, as a friend, to remind the church of who she is. And I don't know what your relationship with Christ looks like, but I, I want you to understand it has to look like this. There has to be a love God, a vertical part, but there also has to be a love each other, a horizontal part. And God's plan for that is the body of Christ. So I don't so however it looks it will look really sweet this way and really messy this way because we're human we are operating sometimes out of the flesh we're not always the best version of ourselves but Jesus requires this so what are you supposed to do when you get hurt in church grow you're supposed to grow you're supposed to love people and build each other up you're supposed to forgive and learn to forgive and carry each other through difficult times. That's what the church is about. Hey, you want to get mad and walk away? That's very popular. People are all about getting mad and walking away. That is not God's plan. I mean, the first person who should have got mad and walked away from the bride is Jesus. Because he was a wreck when she, she was a wreck when he died for her. And so, guys, just remember whatever you do, it's for the church. So you have a new name, you have a new purpose. And God's going to use that through His body of Christ, and you also have a new future. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. God has a new future in mind for you. And it's time for us as believers to focus on the future and walk out of our past. It's time to let go those stories and those mistakes that we've had to regurgitate time and times again, each time driving them deeper in our brains and in our memory cycles. It's time to release that. And instead of saying, this is who I was, but Christ saved me, it's time to say, yeah, that's who I was, Christ saved me, and now. And now. We step into a future because who I was no longer matters. In fact, what God's going to do with it is awesome. But I want to give you this. Philippians 3.13. Brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus. We're going to come back to this verse again throughout the series. I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past. Wow. Paul had a lot to be proud of and a lot, a lot not to be proud of. But he says, you know what? It's all back there. Forgetting the past. And look forward. 
I look forward to what lies ahead. There's good stuff ahead. My father has a plan ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ, is calling us. You're not here to be your old self anymore. What you're probably here to do is to take your old self and make it a ministry to people still stuck there. Usually our past is how God shapes us for his future. You see, God didn't intend all the evil that came in your life, but he knows how to use it. He knows how to take all of the enemy's arrows and turn them into artillery to destroy the enemy with. That's how God works. And so I want you to know you can move out of your past because God has a future for you and he can take those old mistakes and turn them into very new ministries. Ways that can love people. Ways that can set people free. You've struggled in your marriage and now God's led you to peace. Maybe God wants you to guide other marriages to calmer waters. All of you moms in this place have been in that first three to six months of of the child being here of birth and thought you were going to lose your mind and someone came along and helped you, or maybe they didn't, but you could be the person to come along and help that next mom who thinks she's going to lose it. Could certainly be the case. Some of you are here, you could ease the suffering that's in the world through homelessness, mental illness, and addiction. Some of you, man, some of you big, brawny, tough, scary guys, you could do something about human trafficking on the I-80 corridor right here in Rock Springs. There are things that you could do. You could rescue people. Some of you could start a business that was just distinctly Christian. Like, I don't think I can do that. Who told you you couldn't do that? The enemy who doesn't want you to do that? I tell you what, I would love to see that in the future. The development of Christian business leaders who are willing to step out into a world and love it like Christ loves it through business. So I want to close on this idea. This idea of walking away from the past and acting on a new name. Um, Actually, I'm going to change that, close on another idea. I was praying this morning. Hannah, would you get me back on the right slide? Somehow my thumb hit something. I was praying this morning, and uh, sometimes when I pray, I I love to think about those Bible stories, man. And I was thinking about that Goliath story, David and Goliath. You know that story, right? The story where this giant comes out and he's threatening Israel and God sends this little pipsqueak of a shepherd boy, teenager, just to deal with the giant. And God does through this 17, 18-year-old kid what he couldn't do through an entire army. And I was thinking about that story and I'm seeing Goliath standing there. And, and, and Goliath was such a trash talker. I mean, when you're nine foot tall, you can talk some trash, you know. And he was just just beating down the nation of Israel and insulting their God. And that's where some of you are today, man. You've got your past or your mistakes or your problem, and it's a Goliath in your life. It's just standing over you. And it's telling you how small your God is. Your God can't fix this. You're in a mess. Nothing's going to change. You can't change. You're powerless to change. And you hear these voices and these insults. You're just a liar. You're just a failure. You're just whatever, that blank. You fill it in. And you see that giant, and you're, you're kind of like the nation of Israel. And here's this giant just telling you how small your God is. And here's what you're doing, because this is what we do in our foolish moments. You're telling your friends 
and your pastor and your counselor how big Goliath is. And you're wasting your life and your energy telling everyone, oh my gosh, I got this big problem and it's scary and I hate it and I wish the problem would just go away. Goliath will never go away. You have to kill him. You do. How do you beat a Goliath? How did David do it? I come to you in the name of the Lord my God. And I'm about to feed your flesh to the birds. You say, oh, teenage trash talk. That was anointed Holy Spirit of God trash talk. What did David do? He told his giant how big his God was. Hear me. He told his giant how big his God was. That's how you're going to get past your past. It's time to stop kneeling down and letting that, that past beat you down with its garbage. It's time to out-shout Goliath. How do you do that? You know what? You need to just tell him how big your God is. Hey, I'm big problem. Instead of bowing down in fear, it's time to start praising God. What you, that sounds like a church answer. Nah. If it worked for a 17-year-old warrior in Israel, it'll work for us. What do I mean? If God lets this problem in your life, God's about to show you how to kill it. Do you hear me? If, if the problem is there, God's going to show you how to have victory over the problem. But you have to stop maximizing the problem and minimizing God. You have to flip that around and start maximizing God and minimizing your problem. And you can, remove, you can even take this little story, this Goliath story that we learned, around, learned about in Kids Church or VBS, where we learn about the little shepherd boy taking out the giant. From that story we learn that when we magnify God and praise God for the victory that's coming, God comes and gives us amazing victory. That's what some of you need to do today. You need to stop listening. Stop telling your friends, oh, I got the big problem and I wish the problem would go away. Stop doing it. Start telling your problem how big your God is. Oh, man. I kind of feel sorry for you, Goliath. You're going down and it's going to be embarrassing. Yeah. God's going to take you out of my life. And I'm going to get stronger and become a king and reign in my life because of what God's going to do with you. And we need to start praising God in these moments because the Bible tells us in Isaiah that when we praise God, he comes and fights our battles for us. We're starting to see that erupt out of Christian music nowadays. More and more songs about praising God while, while he fights our battles. And so I tell you what, some of you have occasion in this room because your problem is so big. You have occasion. It's time now to stop whining. It's okay. I whine too. I'm not judging you for whining. I'm a good whiner. Very good. I, I have a BS degree in it. <laughs> <laughs> don't take that too far <laughs> stop stop whining start dancing well I don't know if they'll let us dance in this church well some would freak out for sure but you've got a living room in a backyard in the street in your neighbor's house whatever it's time to get up and just say this is going to be good what God's going to do is good because my God's big my God takes out he eats giants for breakfast my God eliminates 
500 million person armies with a worship songs. My God takes out enemies all the time. My God put his own son on the cross to die for me. If he would put his son on the cross to die for me, he will do he will give me everything that's important and that matters in my life. My God is so much bigger than my problem. And the more I begin to see and enlarge the reality of how big, you will never make God too big, man. That's never going to happen. He's bigger than your wildest imagination. You just need to come to terms with it. You come to terms with how big your God is, and you'll be able to rest in the face of the little pipsqueak Goliath. He's nothing. Do you understand? Change of mind. Start believing what God says about you. What God says he feels about you. And start declaring that in your life. And you'll walk out of your past and into a future. Bow our heads. Father, thank you. Thank you so much that there is nothing to fear. There is nothing in this world that can harm us, that can separate us, that can condemn us. There's no problem that you cannot make yourself huge within. I know that every problem in this room, at one day the people who are in it will look back and see how God delivered them, spared them, protected them, and moved them in life. I pray, Lord, that you would enlarge our understanding of your faith, of who you are and our belief in who you are, and set us free from our past. Lord, it's just ridiculous that we're being limited by a past that is under the blood of Jesus. It's ridiculous that we are suffering from things that we are under Christ's healing from, that we are enduring things that we've been forgiven of and they are no longer an issue because of Christ. Help us to move on into these deeper things, into these real powerful things. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.20, he says, the kingdom of God isn't just a lot of talk. It's living by God's power. And I ask you, Lord, to move your children into powerful living. Lord, I cannot wait. I am ready to bankrupt hell in this city. And I know that the men and women and children that we minister to in the Bible teaching and Christ-loving churches in this town are the generation that will strip him and spoil him. And so, Lord, I pray that you raise up men and women and children who will walk out of a broken, mislabeled past and into a God-anointed, power-filled future. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together.